This chapter, chapter 9, the focus is on one event, that is Jesus Christ healing a blind beggar. Alright, Jesus Christ healing a blind beggar. Um, we'll read the passage as we go along. Now, let's read verses 1 to 4. Shall we read 1 to 4 together? And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his bed. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did this, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. May God bless the reading of his word. Now here... The Lord Jesus was walking with his disciples and in verse 1, Jesus passed by, he saw a man that was blind from his birth. Now later on you realize that this man is a beggar and he was on the streets. Now Jesus saw a man that was blind. Now the key word to notice is he was blind what? From his birth. Okay, he was not like he was someone who had sight. He grew up, something to ha happened to him and then he, he was blind. But God's word is clear, he said he was blind from his birth in particular. Now, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, so the disciples asked him. Now, I want you to, I want to ask you one question. Now, these people ask, you think carefully, Master, who, who committed sin, this man or his parents, and as a result, he was born blind? Okay, now the simple part is this. Some people think that, well, um, the parents commit certain sin and then as a result, their children um, are born with deformities. Okay, so there's this, uh, this understanding then, this concept. Okay, but he, they also ask this man or his parents. This man or his parents. What does it mean? <laughs> what do you notice? Shenre, what do you think? What are they really asking? Yeah, whose fault it is? Who fault, whose fault is it? But think of what they are asking. What do you think, Vincent? Calm. <laughs> yeah, similar kind of stuff. But do you notice they are asking something that is very strange? Joshua? Asking is the baby sin when the baby was born or before it was born, right? Isn't it a strange thing to ask? They're asking, well, the parents sin, then you give birth to a deformed baby. Well, it may be possible, but they're asking, maybe the baby sin in the stomach <laughs> and then he's born blind. What did the baby do? Kick the mom in the stomach. What did he do? You know? So did the baby sin before he was born? That's why because of that, he was born blind. So when I read it, I was curious. It's an interesting question. Then I tried to find out the background of those days. Now, in those days, it is... Um, this is Christ's um, um, 30th year or so on earth. But way before that, remember the Israel was um, pretty much under the Greek culture and all that now, right? And there was this philosopher who began to teach this belief and it's not far from what many of the Chinese um, superstition believes. They believe that 
they believe in what is called transmigration of souls. Alright, transmigration of souls means a person's soul, when a person dies, can go into animals, a dog, a cat, hopefully not a rat, <laughs> or it can transmigrate to another human being. Alright, transmigrate. In fact, this philosopher, um, it, it was understood. This is about some time before Christ's birth. So it became a, a belief in society. And this philosopher, once someone was beating a dog, so this philosopher went to the, went to the person and said, Stop beating the dog. When I hear the dog bark, it sounds not my friend who has passed away. I think his soul is in this dog. It sounds exactly like his voice. You know, what a, what a thing to say about your friend. <laughs> it sounds like my friend. And then he began to have this belief that, you know, when people die, their souls go to animals. Um, what, we, what do we have in many of our teaching in, um, in, in um, like Buddhism and so on? It's called what? Reincarnation, right? You die, your soul don't go to hell. Your soul gets recycled, all right? Recycle, go to dogs or go to something else and then you come back to life, all right? Recycle soul. Now, I want you to think, who is this philosopher? Students will know this for sure. He, okay, A square plus B square equals to C square. Pythagoras, right? Pythagoras. So you think that Pythagoras was a mathematician? Well, he was a great philosopher as well. So he was the one who came out with this concept of um, soul migration. And by the time Christ um, came, it was already a common belief in society. Okay. Now, do you think this is a very wicked belief? Why? Why? Shenri nodded. Why? Because it teaches that there's no hell, and then therefore there's no punishment, mm. and then therefore you can live life on earth however you want. Mm. You see, it is a very deceptive teaching, because if a person thinks that, well, if I die, I'm not going to hell, I have a hope of coming back, and especially the teaching then, I'd be good. If I'm good, I might end up in a dog in a nice house. If I'm bad, I might end up in a rat in the drain. All right? So that kind of thinking. So let me be a good person. All right? Hopefully, I'll come back to life one day. Now, that is a very terrible teaching because then people do not think about afterlife that is eternally in hell. There's a big difference, right? If you think you have a chance of coming back, it's different from, if I don't make the right choice, I'll go to hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I will never come up. It's very different. Now, can you think of a Bible verse that proves that Pythagoras, not his theorem, but his, <laughs> his theory about transmigration is false? All right? Can you think of a verse? Very good. Hebrews 9.27. Let's turn to Hebrews 9.27. Okay, Hebrews 9, 27, let's... What does God tell us about our soul? Alright, Hebrews 9, 27. Now let's read together. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Now, so God, God tells us the future of the soul of a human being. It is appointed means it is ordained. It's God's appointment. You can't change that. Unto men, not just one man, but plural, means all mankind. Once to die, not to die many times. Once. 
Once means there's only one chance. And why once? Because, but after this, the judgment. There's no recycling. There's no coming back. So this is a very important doctrine. Now remember there is God, there is the devil. Why does the devil want to have this doctrine taught in the world? To turn men away from Christ. To think that there is another way. And if you um, have the wrong way, you end up in hell forever with him. Right? He wants you to be in hell with him. Right? So the word of God is very clear. In other words, you have to think carefully yourself. Are you very sure of where you're going after you die? That is a very important question. God revealed the future now for us to make very sure. All right? So now, so there was this understanding. So they asked this question. So now that is question number one. All right? And question number two. Now, I asked the question, what is the purpose of illnesses in some cases? What is the answer found in, question, in verse number three, right? Now, Christ says, neither had this man sinned nor his parents. So, it tells us one thing, first of all, now, not all sin, all, all illnesses is because of sin. Is that a right statement? Is, is sin, is illnesses the result of sin? You recently had a flu. <laughs> <laughs> Is illnesses because of sin? In what sense? Is, is illness always because of sin? Illness entered into the world because of sin. Mm-hmm. But individually falling sick may not necessarily be because of sin, but could be for the glory of God. Mm. Is all illness the result of sin? In a sense, it is because because of sin, we end up with a body that is not perfect anymore. Okay, because of that, until we have the immortal body. So, so because of that, bodies will fall sick. But the question is, when a body falls sick, is it always because of sin? No. All right? when, when children bo- are born blind, lame, it is all, also not always because of sin. So please, uh, don't, don't, you know, your relatives or your friends, they give birth and then the child is deformed and they say, oh, you've sinned, you've sinned. <laughs> right? Christ said, no, not that. Christ himself specifically said that. Christ is God. He knows. He's the one who ordained and created every... Um, he's the one who ordained um, who gets born and how they are born. So Christ said, no, it is not necessarily so. Okay? Now, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In other words, God's work. God's work made known. Alright? So now let me ask you the second question. How should I respond in sickness? Maybe some of us are born and then we say, why am I born so short? Why am I born so tall? I can't walk. Oh. You know? <laughs> right? Our friend Brian, the gentle giant, he, he said, I like to be in a corner. I because when I stand up, everybody, I'm, I'm the one that sticks out and everybody notices me. Why must I be born so tall? Right? But, but well, some are tougher. Some are born blind. All right? Or born without an arm. Born unable to walk. Born unable to talk. Unable to hear. Okay? But what does it mean? Is it, is it by accident? It is not by accident. So that's the first thing we must realize. One day you might get married, um, God willing, if it's real for you to get married, and then God's will for you to have children. You have to remember one key principle. If you have a child, before you give birth to the child, the doctor scans. Now this doctor can scan, right? They scan and say, oh, your child is deformed. Alright? Your child is deformed. 
what are you going to do? Abortion? Cannot. In the first place, even your child is not deformed or anything, you cannot abort a baby. You know why, right? Which commandment are you breaking if you abort a child? Commandment number six. Huh? Commandment number six is murder because it's taking life. Remember? The moment, so understand this, uh, when is it considered abortion and murder? The moment the seed is formed, there is life. Okay, understand that there is life. Once there is life, you cannot take the child's life. There is murder, it's up to God. Now in this case, if there was a scan in the past, could scan, and then God meant for this, this um, blind beggar to be born blind, that the works of God be made manifest, and then they go and abort. Right? Number one, they come and say, number two, it's God's will, it's God's plan. Right? So if you do have a child like that, you must still love this child the same, because it is God's plan. Accept it, and know that God has a plan. In fact, this man, because of God's plan in his life, Wonderful things are going to happen in society. Okay? So remember that principle. Every child, whatever state, whatever form, God ordained, God appointed. Okay? Love it the same. Look at it the same as any other child. Now, so we see. So he said that the God, that the works of God may be made manifest. So how should I respond? Even yourself, if you're born with something that you don't like, you must know that's God's plan for you. There's a reason that his works may be made manifest, alright? So don't complain. Ask God, God, what is the reason? Why? Why is someone so smart and I'm so dumb? <laughs> alright? So why? There is a reason. Okay? So there's always a reason. Be thankful. So because, now this is not a joke, alright? Because Christ is talking. And there's, there's this man, Christ is saying, from eternity is already planned. God the Father planned for this man. Isn't it wonderful? You say, oh, blind, but how can it be wonderful? No, God, whatever God planned, is good. Okay, now i ask you another question, number three. Is it fair for God to choose to have the man born just to show his works? How would you feel if you're there? You ask Jesus, why is this poor guy blind and he's a beggar on the street? It's so unfair. Jesus, why? And then Jesus tells you, well, it is because God planned it so that his works will be made manifest to his blindness and being a beggar on the street. How would you feel that day? Not fair. They're not say in your heart. Maybe you're thinking, how can it be? How can it be? How? Vincent, how would you feel? How are you feeling? Bad. Huh? Pretty bad. Why? Unless I um, look at it like uh, how that guy will be compensated in heaven, mm -hmm. which is much beyond comprehension, mm -hmm. and that would be fair. Mm -hmm. Because I don't look at it like that anymore. Mm. So now, if if a person is born and then um, then goes to hell and was also born lame. Would it be fair? How? Lydia, how do you feel? I also feel bad that 
feel like the Giga Trust is special. It's like not Giga. Like it's not all of the people can handle. You know, uh, like take care of the baby or the baby stuff. Mm-hmm. But then like Giga Trust hit me with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not like, I don't see it as a negative, it's like a special. Special child? Yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay. Um, I don't know. Brian, how do you feel? When you read passages like that, what comes to our mind? And what do we do when these thoughts come to our mind? There's a purpose for everything. Okay, God stated that. Well, that's very clear, number one. Think about it some more. Because as you read the Bible, some thoughts may stir up in your heart and say, God, how come? You don't seem fair. Joe? Um, the question I ask myself is, who gets to decide what is fair? Mm. Who gets to decide what is fair? Is there a Bible verse that talks about that? Romans 9. Okay, very good. Before we go there, alright, before we go there, alright, now, the question is, who decides what is fair? And what, okay, let's go to Romans 9, Romans 9, alright. So go to Romans 9. The people ask the same question. Okay, the people ask exactly the same question. Okay, so this thought that you have, it's a thought that the Bible deals with. In verse 12, Romans 9 verse 12. Now, God says, now Paul explains, so the people ask Paul a similar question, and Paul explains, it is said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, and who is this? As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Alright, remember, Jacob, God would make a nation out of Jacob, Israel, alright, and Esau, if he hated. Now, does God hate Esau? No. This is always God's way of speaking. His love for Jacob compared to Esau is so great that his attitudes towards Esau would look like hate. Okay, that's comparative. Not that God hates anybody. Because the Bible says God is love, right? God is love. The Bible tells us very clearly God is love. So God, this hate, you have to understand in the biblical context. Now, then he says, what shall we, verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Ah, you say, not fair. Not fair. God is unrighteous. What does he say, verse 14? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It is God's prerogative, number one. Number two. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that show mercy. Number two, God is the one, and it's up to God to show mercy to whomever he shows mercy. Okay? Not what you are, not what you do. Not you will and you run. Okay? Now, next, verse 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Remember Pharaoh? Pharaoh was constantly against God, and through that God showed miracles after miracles. Remember? Great miracles. And God said, do you know, like for example Pharaoh, God raised Pharaoh. God appointed that Pharaoh would be the one that God would use to show his power. Okay? So God says that. Now next, verse 
18. Therefore he has mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he, that he will, he hardeneth. Now verse 19 is key. Thou wilt, thou wilt say then unto me, Why dost thou yet find fault? For who resisteth his will? In other words, he's saying, I know, I know what you're going to say to me. Paul said, I know what you're going to say to me. You're going to say to me, then how can we basically look at verse 19. Who does he yet find fault? Now, how can God find fault with anyone? How can God accuse anyone? Because he's the one who works, right? He's the one who raised Pharaoh. Not fair. Alright? They say, who resisted his will? We can't resist God. If God appointed. Verse 20. Nay, no, but O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing form say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Verse 21, let's read together. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and under. Right? Now, Paul explained. He is explaining the sovereignty of God. That God answers to no man. That God is the one who shows mercy according to He will, according to as He will. Now, verse 20 is key. Nay, no. But, O man. You know why Paul said, O man? It's not talking to old people. It's an old man. He's saying, basically, you are just men. Men. He's trying to let the people know you are men and you're questioning God. There is a verse in the Bible that reminds us that his ways are what? Higher than ours. Alright, his ways are higher than ours. But by the way, I always ask you to memorize what is God, right? Now, what is God? God is a spirit. Infinite. What is infinite? Cannot be measured. Very, alright? Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God is infinite in what? His wisdom. When we question God, we are questioning God's wisdom. But He's infinite in wisdom. Who dare who to say, I'm infinite in wisdom? I can see things infinitely. We cannot. But God is infinite. And He's unchangeable in wisdom and in His Goodness, right? God is good. God is infinite and unchangeable in His goodness. If God is infinitely good, will anything that God do be unfair? Then how come it looks unfair? How come it looks unfair? Joshua? We cannot comprehend what is good, what is truth, what is fair. We just have to understand that. Turn to Isaiah. Right, turn to Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. Did I drop my paper? Turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. Do you need air conditioning? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. 
I think we blow it down this way, uh, kind of like fainting. Some of you are feeling hot also. Okay, when you're cold, Marlene, let us know. We'll turn it off. <laughs> Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Yeah, having problem breathing. 55, 8 and 9, let's read together. Now, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Understand, God's ways, God's thoughts are far, far infinitely higher than us. We don't know. We can't understand. Neither can we fully um, um, accept. Okay? Now, did Paul try to explain? Did Paul try to explain? He did not. He simply stated. Understand? He simply stated. Now, the Bible is whose word? God's word. He's simply stating what God says. God says, this is so. Okay? Now, you notice one thing. When Jesus himself answered them, turn back to John. Jesus himself answered them. The disciples asked, now, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, what did Jesus say? Jesus simply said, Jesus simply stated, neither this man sin nor his parents, but the works of God should be made manifest in him. Did Jesus apologize? I'm so sorry, guys. I didn't expect my dad to do this. <laughs> you know, I, I got to, I got to say, say sorry on his behalf. Did Jesus say that? Jesus is God on earth. He simply said, that is God's plan. Was Jesus apologetic about it? Was Jesus saying that I'm, I feel quite embarrassed about this? No. No. He, God's ways are so infinitely above ours, we cannot fully understand. Okay? Now, my point about these few verses is this. Now, we're studying about the deity of Christ, right? John, the Gospel of John, focuses on the deity of Christ. God, Jesus is God. Now, there's one thing that as we study this chapter, you will realize, and there's one thing that you and I must always have. When we approach God, whenever we think about God, we must know that we are, remember this, old man. You are just men. We are just men, sinful men, whose thinking is already corrupted. And God is so infinitely above us in wisdom, in goodness, we just have to say, God, you are all wise. I cannot understand. I may even, this unrighteous, this feeling of unrighteousness may even well out in me. But God, I know one thing. You are holy. You are true. You are good. You are sinless. Whatever you do is always not sin. There's no unfairness in you. Alright? Now, the believer must always approach God with the reverence that say, God, you are so above us, I won't even question you. That's why Christ did not bother to explain. He just stated it. Understand that? Approach God with such reverence. You know, um, you know why, those of you who study Kelvin, I think I said before, you know why Kelvin is able to write the Institutes when he was so young and is able to expound God's words so clearly, systematize it? He was such a genius, according to men. And we always know the reason. He always approached God with humility, 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 he simply opened his mind and said, God, you are way above us. I don't even question you. And he read the Bible that way and he could 
understand the Word of God. You want to understand the Word of God? You approach God with a mind that says, God, you are far above us. I accept what you say. Christianity is based on this. Do you believe because you see? Or do you see because you believe? Which one first? Typically in the world. I see, therefore I believe. That is the world. I see, therefore I believe. Right? In Christianity, understand, is always I believe. Therefore, I can see. You must accept. You must accept. You must believe what God says, that He is infinite. His ways are way above ours. Heaven, like heaven and earth, so far apart. We just have to believe that. Then you will begin to see. You begin to see God's sovereignty. You begin to accept things in your life. You begin to see wonderful things in God's Word. Alright? So, um, Vincent, that is the answer. Does God owe us anything? No. God doesn't owe us anything. Alright? So, remember that. That's when God comes to save us, He does it out of pure love, not because He owes us anything. Okay, so now, that is how we must approach God. Understand? Right, so this is the key part. Very, very key. Um, because later on you will see the attitude of the Pharisees are different. Okay, and therefore they cannot see. Okay, so we move. Next. Now, actually I also ask, okay, we move first. Now, verse 5. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. We studied that already. Jesus is the light of the world. And verse 6. When he thus, when he thus spoken, he spat on the ground. He spat on the ground, alright? And made clay of the spittle, in other words, his saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And said unto him, verse 7, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. Okay, so now Jesus, well, how did Jesus heal this blind man? He spat on the floor, um, and those places very a lot of sand and all that. Then he made mud clay out of it, all right, and he put on the man's eye. Okay, is this the first time Jesus healed with saliva? No, all right, in Mark chapter 8, I think, uh, he healed with saliva as well. He spit in his hand. By that time, the blind man, he just spit in his hand, and he applied his saliva on the man's eye. This time he spit on the ground and he used clay. Why do you think he did that? Why? Who want to try? Why do you think he did that? Really? Test the man's faith. Test the man's faith. Okay, in what sense? Yeah. <laughs> think it's rubbish. <laughs> I'm blind but I'm not stupid. <laughs> I'm blind but I'm not stupid. You're right. Because it defies logic, right? I think that's a good way to explain it. It defies logic. He's born blind, you know. You know what's born blind? Born blind means those connections are not there. Yeah? The eyeball, the connections to the eyeball are not there. That's why he's blind. It don't exist. That's why they're blind. Okay, organically those connections are not there. So you say, it doesn't make logic at all. Ask me to do this. Alright, you spit and then you put that mud on my eyes and then now you want to make fun of me and make me walk all the way to the pool and wash myself? 
Alright, so that's one, 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 one explanation uh, from um, uh, Rei. Anyone else? I offer you my explanation. Okay? I offer you my explanation. Now, Jesus spat on the ground. Okay? Now, where is man taken from? From dust. Alright? Okay? Now, so he spit on the dust. Alright? Now, and because he is God, he would now recreate him. Okay? Now, there is a significance about Siloam also. It's called scent. Alright, it's called scent. That Jesus already planned that he would send this man to a pool. Okay? And the pool of Siloam represents cleansing. That's water. Represents cleansing. Alright? And he must cleanse away the dirt. Dirty things and be healed. What do you think? You're copying, you're scribbling and copying. What do you think what I just said is true or not? Is it true? It's called what? Allegorization. Right? Uh, um, most of you attend the allegorization session? Some of you. Right? That is called allegorization. Don't be surprised you go to some commentaries, you'll be like that. They say, oh, Siloam means this. The soil means this. Jesus' spit, you know, means this. Okay, that kind of thing. Uh, so, Jesus baptized the ground. <laughs> I don't know. You know, all sorts of things. This is called allegorization. It's assigning things which are not there at all. Alright? We just drew the principle. That's all. The principle was that the man was being tested for his faith. A very simple, straightforward thing. Okay, so all that the copy, all that copying can say, right? say allegorization. I'm just giving an example of allegorization. Allegorization means you go behind and find mysterious and mystical meaning behind things, which are not there. All right. In other parts, Jesus healed this way too. Now Jesus is sovereign; he heals any way he chooses. Okay, that's another way to 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 realize that he's sovereign. It's up to him to choose. It's not for him. It's not for us to dictate how he heals. Okay, so remember, when you read or you hear messages like that, you must straight away know that it's allegorization. Many people preach like that. Okay, it's up to the fertility of man's imagination. Mine is not that fertile. Okay, <laughs> over there, I think someone, some of you will come up with a better story than that. Okay, so now, so remember, that, that's why I just want to give you an example of what allegorization would be and it would be dangerous. Okay, now... So why did he choose? Yes, it really is correct. It's to test the man's faith. In fact, many of this healing you see in, in the other gospel, he always tested the people's faith. Right? Would you obey me? Would you obey? It sounds illogical. So remember, is it you believe first, then you see, or you see first, then you believe? For the Christian, it's always believe first, then you will see. This man believed. He obeyed. Then he could see. Hmm? Okay, so now, Alright, so it's simple as that, to test the man's faith. And it is, this is a very true case. This man was very obedient, right? I think Ray described it very well. It's illogical, but he simply obeyed. Now, so now he went and he got healed and he could see. Now, remember this. This is what kind of seeing? Is this organic healing or this is, whoa, he get an adrenaline rush. Then he could see. It's not adrenaline rush. Whatever rush he has, he has he's not going to see, you know. There's no connection means no connection, alright? He cannot see. This is an organic 
healing. It's a miracle. Understand? It's a miracle. Okay? Now, until today, uh, there is no documented case, no scientific case of any organic healing by the charismatic movement. No matter what they tout, there is no recorded organic healing. Why? Because miracles are over. Miracles were there to um, authenticate Christ's ministry, authenticate the Apostles' ministry. It was not meant for it to be going on and on and on and on. Remember, when Timothy was sick, Paul performed many miracles, right, in the book of Acts. When Timothy was sick, what did, what he, Timothy always had stomach problems. All right? And then what did Paul say? Dear Timothy, put your hand on your stomach <laughs> and say these words. Right? Did you say that? If it doesn't work, send me the handkerchief. I'll pray over it. I'll deliver it back to you. Put it on the spot on your stomach. All right? Make sure you put your finger in your navel. <laughs> all right? And then say these words. Did Paul say all those things? Paul never performed any miracles, so to speak, after that, right? He simply said, Timothy, go drink some clean water. <laughs> That's it. Put some Put some alcohol in the water, clean the water, and drink the water, right? That is what he told Paul. No more miracles, okay? This was a genuine miracle. All the miracles that are claimed today are not miracles. God has already seized the miracles. Christ warned of many false miracle workers in the end times. Okay, so now, next. He says, now here, okay, we, we read on. Uh, now he says, now, verse 10. Therefore they asked him, How were thine eyes open? The people around asked. Then verse 11 he says, He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus. Now, he only know Christ as Jesus now. All right, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Now, here is the next question. Question number verse 12. Then said unto then said they unto him, verse 12, Where is he? And he said, I know not. Of course, you don't know, right? He, he didn't see where he was, and then he went to wash himself. Where he washed himself, he see it, and he don't, I can't remember, I don't know. I couldn't see it. I don't know where Jesus was when he talked to me earlier on. Now, the people, what did the people do? Verse 14. Uh, verse 13. And they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. So these people brought him to the Pharisees. Verse 14. Trouble starts. And it was the Sabbath day, oh oh, when Jesus made the clay and opened the eyes. Okay, verse 15, and the Pharisees also asked him again how he received this sight. He said unto them, and so on and so on, right? He keeps repeating the story. And then verse, 15, verse 16, and therefore some, verse 16, therefore some, therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Alright? When was the last time Jesus healed on Sabbath? Chapter 5. Okay? When he on Sabbath, was it a big hoo-ha? Major. Alright? They hunted him down. Troubled him. Why must you heal on Sabbath? Oh, you break the Sabbath. Alright? And my Bible says, Jesus break the Sabbath. I told you, right? Christ break the Sabbath. Uh, for the notes, Christ break the Sabbath. Christ did not break the Sabbath. Okay? Now, so I ask you this question. You know, you know just to make sure you're, you're revised. Uh, did Christ break the Sabbath? No, right? We know the standard answer. Christ did not break the Sabbath. So, why were... What was Christ trying to correct? The right way of keeping the Sabbath, right? When he argued with them, he's not saying, I'm starting a new law, 
I'm starting a new law, there's no Sabbath. Christ is not saying that. Christ is arguing with them that they're keeping it wrongly. Understand? Okay, so remember that because today people use the, new, the Gospels and say, look, Christ is always arguing with them on Sabbath. Yes, Christ is arguing with them not because he wants to stop it, but because he is trying to correct it. Okay, so now, I ask you this question, verse 5, uh, question number 5. Would it have been better that Jesus avoided, uh, sorry, Jesus avoided healing on Sabbath to avoid confrontations and have peace? Oh Lord Jesus, why must you do this on Sabbath? Why can't you wait for the next day and have less problem in the society and less quarrel and as your disciples, they won't hate us so much? Hmm? Christ did it on the Sabbath. He chose to do it on the Sabbath. It's not by chance that he was walking, he saw and he chose to heal. That time, that place, that person, all arranged in eternity. Okay, so would it have been better for Jesus to avoid healing on Sabbath? The answer, of course, we know is no, right? For sake of peace. People sometimes say, for sake of peace, let's not do that. What's the principle? Why do you think Jesus again chose to heal on Sabbath and he's going to come do that? Why do you think so? Mabel, why do you think so? Don't know. Okay. Uh, Kenny, why do you think so? Why do you think Jesus, after all that trouble of healing on Sabbath, still went ahead of heal on Sabbath again? Actually, I told you the answer just now. Correct. To show that it is not wrong to go good on Sabbath. Okay? So it is not wrong. He is, in other words, still continuing to correct them. Right, if something is wrong, <coughs> shall we say, <coughs> for peace sake, for unity sake, let's just not do it. Let's just not talk about it. Is it right? Is it a good principle? No. Why? Because then people will never learn the truth, right? So Jesus has to make sure his disciples, he has to make sure his followers know what is right. Okay, so if he didn't do it, they would never learn. They would never know. So sometimes we don't have a choice. So Jesus did that. So remember that principle. Remember, say, hey, let's just have some peace, and it is the right thing. We should say, let's not, do, let's just not do it. Okay. Okay. Now next we have. Actually, I ask you this question number six. Now I actually took this quotation of the internet. Okay. Oops. Now. Okay, question number six. Now, regarding healing on Sabbath, some assert, some keep saying, unlike the Pharisees, Jesus emphasizes human freedom, not prohibitions. Now, let me explain this sentence to you. Huh? The, many Christians today have this thinking. Now, Christians, you must know, this is a good example to show that Jesus' teaching is always like that. He emphasizes human freedom. Say, we have freedom to do things on the Sabbath. And he, is, he emphasizes freedom. He do not want to emphasize prohibitions. The Pharisees emphasize prohibitions. Understand? So he said, yeah, you know, churches like yours, talk about don't do this, don't do that, cannot. No, no, no. Just emphasize freedom. We have freedom. Alright? We have freedom to do things. Now, do you think when Jesus, why do you not? Uh, Brenda, <laughs> Sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Why do you not? You come across something like that? Oh, okay. 
All right, friends, relatives, you know, there is this Christianity, maybe you're not facing, but some of, some of you all face it more. Say, no, 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 just don't talk about no. Jesus' emphasis was freedom. So Jesus was purposely doing this to emphasize freedom. Purposely to do it to, dis, to irk people. Say, no, I do. All right? To emphasize freedom. All right, so you come to church. Just say, um, dress, uh, don't dress immodestly. No, Jesus emphasized freedom. Purposely wear low cut and miniskirt. And then guys in tank top come to church. <laughs> to emphasize freedom. I purposely want to rebel to emphasize freedom. Jesus doesn't want us to talk about prohibition. He wants to emphasize freedom. Hmm? There is a Christianity today. That's why I say don't tell the negative. Remember at BBK I was, I was emphasizing, you must teach what is wrong. And you must correct what is wrong. Very important. But I say, do you keep telling people, eat, do you tell your children, keep eating vegetables, keep eating fruits. But no, 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 don't, don't, don't emphasize prohibition. Don't tell them, don't take drugs, don't smoke, don't drink. Don't say the don't things. Just emphasize the do things. It's senseless, right? We don't do that with our children. How come we, we say Christianity must, must, must be like that? Right? So no, Christ was not doing these things to emphasize freedom. Right? He was correcting errors. Okay, so I just want us to be very clear in our minds. When you read books, you will see some of them begin to propound this to your thought. So I was reading a website, some Christian things, and then, oh, voila, the quote came out. Unlike Pharisees, Jesus emphasized human freedom, not prohibitions. Now, number seven. Okay, let's read further. Huh? Let's see what happened next. Um, okay, so he said, now, he must be a sinner. He must be a sinner. This man is not of God because he broke the Sabbath. Now, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? Ah, some began to wonder. All right, is it possible sinners can do miracles like that, that is organic? So there was a division. Now, verse, verse 17, They say unto the blind man again, Thou sayest thou of him, He hath opened thine eyes. He said, He is a prophet. He said, What do you think he is? He said, Well, he's a prophet. This blind man was blind, but... I think he saw better. Verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind. In other words, say, now, is it true that he was, been, he was blind since birth? Maybe this is a, um, uh, a scheme. This guy was not blind, alright? He told a false story so that Jesus can claim that I healed a person who was blind from birth. Okay? So, so verse 19, 18, they are saying that. So, um, so he said, they don't believe so. Now call the parents, call the parents of him that have received his sight. Call them. Verse 19, they asked him, saying, is this, uh, they asked three questions, alright? Notice three questions. Question number one, verse 19. What are the three? Is this your son? Question number one. Number two, who ye say was, um, who ye say was born blind? Question number two, was he born blind? Is it true or not? Or they pakat. You know, pakat means you, you go in a collusion with someone. Right. Was he born blind? Question number two. Question number three. How then does he know? Does he now see? How come now he can see? Three questions. All right. First two questions are answered very fast. All right. Look at question. Look, look at verse twenty. Verse twenty very fast. His parents answered them and said, "We know that this is our son." Oh, okay. So question number one answered. This is our son indeed. Number two. And he was born blind. Very easy. We definitely qualify that at birth he was blind. But the third question, how come he now see? <laughs> Alright, see how they answer, verse 21. But by what means he now see, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. We don't know. 
we don't know. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak. Oh, he's an adult, he's grown up. They don't answer that question. You ask him. Now, do you know why they don't answer that question? Well, God reveals their heart, verse 22. The word, this word spake his parents because, uh, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, who is he? Jesus is the Christ. He should be put out of the synagogue, excommunicated, kicked out of the synagogue. Now, the synagogue life is very important to the Jews. Uh. They, they must have the synagogue life. Very important. If they kick out, they are, they are very miserable. Right? To them, it's like they are kicked out of God's kingdom. Okay? Very crucial to them. So they are very afraid. They already know the Jews, not just as the Pharisees. Society say, this man, Jesus, is not Christ. means he's not God. Not Jesus, not God sent by, by, by the Father. And they say, if anyone say that, kick them out. So they were afraid. Now, 23, say again. 23, therefore, say his parents, he's of age. Ask him. They don't want to get in trouble. Now, isn't it very sad? If you had a child that was born blind, hmm, and all his life he was blind and you cannot support him and he had to beg in the streets. Hmm, and then here is God who healed him. And then when people ask you, you still do not want to own up. They were, what they were more concerned about was what? Their religious life. Their outward religious life. All right? How would society view them if they get kicked out? How would the Jews, the society view them if they say this man is Christ when they don't accept him as Christ? Life is like that, you know. You, you own Christ as your saviour. Now sometimes even your parents won't like that. Even your parents may be embarrassed. Even your parents may say, no, 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 no. I don't want to associate with that. Very sad. Sometimes our parents won't stand with us because of society, of what people will say. Oh, your child is a Christian. You know what Christians are or not, you know? So parents will get embarrassed. You know, there was a case in our church. Um, their uh, brother and sister, the, they were going for a funeral, flying back to their own country for a funeral. And then they told the parents, we will not, we are Christians, we do not, we will not hold joysticks and pray to the ancestors. Alright, this ancestor worship, understand? They said, we will not do that. And the mother said this, you know how embarrassing it will be for me? For, we are going there, all our relatives are going to be at the graveyard. All your cousins are going to pray to the ancestors. You know what it will mean to our face, our family face, if you, if you don't do that? Hmm? Um, although the bandha knew that their children, since they come to Christ, have changed so much. You know, have become different, very good children. Um, and she, in her heart, probably also knew that Christianity is true. Um, I said, no, you know, you are all going to do that. So on the plane journey, it was like very difficult. Then when they landed, they didn't know what to do. But this brother and sister, they made up their mind that they will not sin against God. So how can we? Christ died for us, saved us. We cannot, um, we cannot betray him. So they decided not to, so they went to the cemetery, no choice. Parents were very angry. 
Um, and then, guess what? So they're passing the joysticks around, the relative, going around giving all the joysticks to the, to the grandchildren. And then when he reached them, amazingly, the mother stepped in and said, they're Christians. They don't do this. Amazing, right? And they pass from them. Well, sometimes parents don't stand with us, but sometimes they do. But the thing is this, whether our parents stand with us or not, whether, you know the most difficult thing is when your loved ones don't stand with you, right? It's the most painful, the most difficult. And when they don't, you still have to. And sometimes, you know the devil is a what? It's a what lion? Roaring lion. The devil is not a biting lion. Alright, it's a roaring. He makes a lot of noise. He frightens us, threatens us. It looks very bad, the situation. But you do not know. When you stand firm, in the end, God will deliver. God will deliver. Can you imagine if you did that and for the rest of your life you regret? Well, God will forgive, yeah. But you intentionally betray out of fear. Right? But when you stand firm, God will deliver. Sometimes God don't deliver. But even when God don't deliver, He will see you through. Alright? So remember that. Okay, so now, here the parents would not want to own Christ despite what Christ has done for their child. Very sad. Very sad. The attitude was that. I hope none of us are like that. We are more concerned about church life, about our faith, than about owning Christ. Okay, now. So next. Okay. So, what did they say? They keep saying that. Now, so... Verse 22 onwards, sorry. Um, verse 24 onwards. And again they called the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Give God the praise. Now this is their way of saying, um, say the truth in front of God. All right? it's, it's kind of like forcing people to take an oath. That's how they say it. Give God the praise. Make, them, make this person take an oath and say the truth. Okay? Now this man is a sinner. This man is a sinner. I ask you question number seven. What does this incident prove regarding power evangelism of the third wave movement? Power evangelism. Um, I think many of you attend BBK, so you know what that is. Power evangelism is this third wave movement in the charismatic movement where they say power evangelism means to evangelize, to win souls, we must use the power of miracles. That's what power evangelism is, all right? Use the power of miracles to prove that the gospel is true and win souls. Okay? That's power evangelism. In fact, they love to quote Acts. They say why our evangelism is not successful in this age because we are not doing power evangelism. We are not using miracles, performing miracles. Okay? So they say that. Now, I want to ask you, is from this incident so far, healing or a uh, healing organic healing of a blind person who never could see before now can see is this power or not superpower all right power as power you can get now and is power evangelism true not true right did the pharisees believe they all believe no they continue to reject even they know that it is true even they heard from the parents own mouth that my son was really born blind so power evangelism is not something that um, is scriptural. Okay, remember that. Okay, so now, next, we see. 
Okay, so now the attitude of the... Now we saw the attitude of the... We saw the attitude of the son. Uh, the parents. Now we see the attitude of the son. Very interesting conversation that is going to occur. Verse 25. Now he said, give God the praise. This taking God's name in vain. Uh. Taking God's name in vain. And he say, we know that this man is a sinner. Okay, now they are going to keep saying, we know. Okay, please notice that. We know he is a sinner. He answered, the blind man answered and said, verse 25. Okay, shall we read this conversation together? 25 to 30. Uh, 25 to 31. Let's read 25 to 31 together. Now, this is the conversation. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they him, What did he do to thee? How open he thine eyes. He answered them, And I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him again, and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses as for this fellow. We know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto him, unto them, Where therein is marvellous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshipper of God, doeth his will, him he heareth. Right, so now this is the argument that will go back and forth. Now this, this blind man, he may be blind, but he's extremely good arguer. <laughs> Alright? I think he would make an excellent lawyer, actually. Now, so he was so good in the way he argues. And he answers back. Now he said, he's a sinner. Then he said, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. As far as I, I know, there's one thing I know. I was born blind. Now I see. We sang two hymns, right, just now. Did you chose them on purpose because of this verse? One is, now I am blind. I was once blind, but now I can see. That Jesus light of the world. The other one's amazing grace, right? See, these hymn writers, they don't write out of the blue. That's why I love old hymns. They write biblical um, words, all right? Lessons from the Bible. Once I was blind once, and now I see. So he said, this is for a fact. It could never be. All right, verse 29, he says, now this is a way to, to, to shut a person up. Okay, how do you shut a person up? Now, this is the donor umpteenth time, all right? Third or fourth time, because how will you feel? How will you feel? How will you feel? He explained, how will you feel? How are you? Okay, this guy is getting like impatient already. Now he says, okay, verse, where's that? Okay, verse 27. Now verse, verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already. And ye did not hear. So he say, I might be blind, but you seem to be deaf. Alright? Now, wherefore would ye hear it again? You want to hear it again? Now this is how you shut someone up. The next statement. Will ye also be his disciples? <laughs> Alright, this is a way to shut someone up. You know how to shut someone when you have an argument? The very thing that you know that what is on their mind, you say. <laughs> then you can't take it anymore, alright? You can't take it, you don't ask already. They change, they change topic now. Alright, so he said, you want to be, you want to be disciples? She knows that they, they reject the Christ. They want to believe. So, okay lah, I tell you. So, you're going to be disciples after I tell you, right? Now, they got fed up. Now, they change topic. Alright, not going to ask him anymore. Say it now. Well, we are, we, are, we are disciples of Moses. Now, all these are very important. Uh. This guy is so good in his argument. Uh. Because at the end, uh, he's going he's gonna to say, he's, he's listening very carefully, you know. Maybe blind people are more attentive. <laughs> I don't know. But he could, listen, he could listen so sharply 
And in the end, when he answered back, all right, he's quoting all the things that they said. All right? Now, he says, now he says, um, well, we are disciples of Moses. Okay? Now, they're going to keep saying this word, we know. Verse 31. Okay, now he says, now we know. We know that God hears. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, my mistake. All right, verse 29. Okay, verse 29 says, we know that God spake unto Moses. We know not where this man from where this man is from verse 29 okay so they keep saying we know we know we know we know okay so this guy got fed up he also answered back verse 31 we know <laughs> now we know that god here is not seen us okay now and then after he's he's going to say this verse 32 now his 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 big um, argument is going to slap them on their face verse 32 since the world began was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind now, this is a very significant statement. Now, this man is no ignoramus. Huh? He may be a beggar. He may be blind. But his statement is very loaded. When he say, We know since the world began, it has never been heard before that a man opened the eyes of one that was blind. It's very specific. He said that, Well, there have been cases that people could, could see. They turned blind. And then some prophet healed them and they could see again. Alright, Elijah. Okay? And you want to quote Moses? Well, all the most all the miracles that Moses performed, he never once could turn a person who was who never had connections and could see. Now he's, he said you keep saying you know, right? Okay, then I tell you if you know so much, then since since we know from scriptures, since the beginning of time, have you heard any prophet? ever turn someone from who was never who would never see turn him to someone who could see say never right so this guy is he's a very good arguer and he knows god's word you know now next he says verse 33 if this man were not of god he could do nothing ah they said based on that argument if he's not from god even the prophets elijah moses could not do such a thing this man is definitely from god for sure now they got really angry now now, they got really angry. Now, they answered and said unto him, Now, I want you to notice their attitude, because at the end, we're going to answer this question. They answered, verse 34, They answered and said unto him, Thou was altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Thou was altogether born in sin. What do you think they were saying? The disciples asked, right? Is this man born because of, blind, blind because of sin? Jesus said, no. But these people said, yes. You're born, so they have, they have that concept. You know, you're born blind because you are a sinner. You sin. Not you're a sinner, you sin. Some, you did something in your mother's womb. All right? So he said, and you trying to teach us? You trying to teach us? Now, this is, this is their attitude. You are trying to teach us. Okay? So we're going to consolidate all this attitude after us. So you better be, be catching the attitudes. I say, there, now, the attitude of the parents, then we saw the attitude of this man, then now we're going to see the attitude of the, the Pharisees. Now you see, you want to teach us? Now verse 35. And he says, uh, sorry, um, I want to teach us and they cast him out. So he got excommunicated. The parents did not. <laughs> Alright? He got cast out of the synagogue but not the parents. But do you, who do you think is happier? Who do you think is in a better state of things? Him. He stood up for Christ. Hmm? Yeah, the parents may go on with their very nice social synagogue life. Okay, that's all. 
That's all there is. Now, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him. Now, Jesus, after healing him, actually sought him out. Okay, looked for him. He did not leave him alone. Now, Jesus healed him for a reason, and he's going to ask this question. Does thou believe on the Son of God? Now, he's a Jew. Now, he's a Jew, and likely, very quickly, the moment he hears Son of God, he knows Son of God means what? Means it's God. Right? Son of God means God. Okay, they know. They know. Verse 36, he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Now, you remember in verse 11, what did he know Jesus as? He know Jesus as simply as Jesus. This is Jesus, that man that everyone talks about in the streets. Jesus. The man that they say is Christ, but my parents say better not say he's Christ. Right? So this is the man. Now he, he said, alright, but now he's going to ask, Right, Jesus comes to him, oh, who is he that I might believe on him? Verse 37, and Jesus answered, let's read 37 together. And Jesus said unto him, thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh to thee. Now, this is amazing. So this guy, you mean the one that healed me is the son of God? What happened? Verse 38, and he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He fell down, bowed to him, and worshipped him. John is an emphasis on Jesus' deity. I'm going to keep saying this until it, it's very clear in your mind. Now, he would, John would purposely record this. Why do you think? It is again to emphasize Jesus Christ is God. Why do I say so? Because I ask you this. How, verse, question number 9. How can we prove that Jesus did not deny that he's God? Remember people keep saying, Jesus never ever said that he's God. The Muslims say, Jesus never said that he's God. Alright, the, the Mormons, the Seventh-day Adventists, I always say Jesus never claimed to be God. Now, in this event, did Jesus deny that he's God? No, right? Because of verse number what? 30? 38. Right? 38. Why do I say that? Now, if Jesus denies that he's God, what would he have done? He would have immediately said, stand up. You cannot worship me. I'm not God. If Jesus were not God, listen carefully, if Jesus were not God, if Jesus were not God, and he didn't say anything when the person bowed to him, which commandment would he be breaking? Hmm? Commandment number? Joe? No, wait, eight. Eight. It is this one, you know. Is is this one, huh? Okay, look at verse verse thirty eight first. Verse thirty eight. And he said, "Lord, I believe." And he worshipped him. All right. Did Jesus tell him, "Don't worship me"? Please stand up. He didn't, right? Now, if Jesus were not God and he let this person worship him, which commandment would Jesus have broken? Number two. What is two? Bow down. Make driven images or bow down. Two parts. No driven images, no bowing down. That's why remember the apostles, when the people bowed to them, what did they say? Straight away, please stand up. I'm a man like you. When the people bow and worship God, did Jesus ever say, please stand up? No, he received worship. He received worship from those that he saved. Okay, so Jesus never denied that he's not God. Alright? So, commandment number two. Okay, so these are all little things that 
John is writing into the gospel to let us know that he's emphasizing the deity of Christ. Okay, so now, oh, we're finishing. But this is now going to be a big question. Does the Bible have contradiction? Does Jesus contradict himself? Verse 39, shall we read verse 39 together? And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see might that see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. Now I ask you this question. Okay, so see if you remember our coverage of John. For judgment I am come into this world. I'm come into this world for judgment. Do you remember in the earlier lesson, we say that Jesus did not come to judge the world? Remember? Well, roughly where? Do you remember, Brenda? What, did, what was that verse roughly? Yes, John 3, very good. After, after John 3.16, very good. All right. All right, after John 3.16, let's turn to John 3.17. John 3.17. Now, Jesus earlier said, right? He told the people, John 3.17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. He did not come to condemn the world. He did not come to judge the world. But now He says, For, I, for judgment I am come into this world. <laughs> Is Jesus... Contradicting himself? No. Okay, so the question is, how do you answer this? Because Jesus will make these statements a few times. So you have to understand. Now, don't you read? Oh, I still don't understand. So I want you to understand. Now, when Jesus says, For God sent not his Son into, to, into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, verse 18. He that believeth not on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Okay? Now, Jesus is saying that I don't have to come and condemn you. You're already condemned because you're all sinners. Understand? You're already sinners because you're already condemned because you're sinners. And when I come this time, I did not come to condemn you, I come to save you. Alright? You're condemned already. I came to save you. Okay? So that's the context, right? Always tell, tell you my speak context. Okay? But now this one, Jesus said, for judgment I'm coming to this world that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. So what is Jesus saying here? He, he just said that he's, he's not coming to condemn, but yet he says, for judgment I am come into this world. Those that cannot see, can, will see. Those that see, will be made blind. What do you think Jesus is saying? Now Jesus is saying this. For judgment I am coming into this world, he's saying I am come. Now judgment means... I come to declare what is right and wrong, right? When the judge makes a judgment on, in court, he's declaring what is right, what is wrong. Who is right, who is wrong, right? I'm making a judgment. Now, Jesus is simply saying, I'm coming to, make, to declare what is, to expose to you your sins. Understand? In, that's why he say, they that will not see might see. Because after Jesus, Jesus' presence, Jesus' life and the gospel will straight away expose truth and error. Sin and no sin. So he said, that's why he said, just by my presence, judgment will be declared. What I say 
what is true is exposed and those who have not known the truth could not see now they will see because of this judgment because this declaration of mine all right just like you go to court then you don't know what is right and wrong then the judge makes a declaration he makes a judgment then you who are blind oh now i see ah now i see all right okay so jesus is not saying that he's coming to judge the world but he's saying by my presence by the gospel by what i do i already will expose you pharisees i will expose you those that are those want to believe they will see those that don't want to believe although they claim that they see they will remain blind okay so jesus understand is jesus contradicting himself no understand all right so when you read this you have to understand what he's saying he said by my presence by the gospel judgment will already be made the truth will be revealed okay so now now what does he mean by this uh? and some of the pharisees verse 40 and some of the pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him are we blind also all right so some of them followed this blind man along and jesus when jesus met this blind man he was talking to them this pharisee hung around listened to the conversation then they whispered to one another oh are we blind are we is he talking about us <laughs> all right well jesus could hear and could see hear all hearts thoughts verse 41 let's read verse 41 together jesus said unto them if ye were blind you should have no sin but now ye say we see therefore your sin remaineth so i ask you this question jesus said unto them if we if you were blind you should have no sin okay so i ask you that question here verse 41 from verse 41 question number 11 does it mean that those who do not know christ have no sin and will go to heaven because he said right if if you are blind means you don't know who i am you don't know anything then you have no sin then you can go to heaven you know why i ask you this question because that is the teaching today the belief today is this god is love God won't send anyone to hell because God is love and God is very fair uh, like Joe said who is to say what is fair man's fairness is this they say God is very fair now if you meet someone from the jungle who never heard of Jesus before they are blind so to speak they are blind they never heard the gospel they never heard of Jesus have you met people who have never heard of Jesus before? Uh, I thought I won't but actually someone yeah <laughs> you know Willie? Billy, who comes to our church once in a while, the wife, Billy, and the children, he never heard of Jesus before. When, when, uh, brother Eugene, say, oh, I go to church. They say, oh, you go to church. What do you do? Well, we worship. And then I talk to him about Jesus. Jesus, who is Jesus? Never heard of Jesus. What is Jesus? <laughs> so, so, the, so there are people like that, even in Perth, not just in the jungle, all right? <laughs> even in Perth, all right? I've never heard of Jesus. They say, well, if you were blind, you should have no sin. So the teaching is those who have never heard of Jesus never heard of the gospel when they die they have no sin they will go to heaven okay in fact those that worship Buddha I always keep telling you this right until you sick of hearing me hearing me say that but this is what is taught today those that worship Buddha they are blind to Jesus but because they are blind to Jesus they go to have they will still go to heaven because Jesus when they go to heaven they see Buddha eh? actually it's Jesus all right so Hindu God is actually Jesus. So if they are blind, they have no sin. They will go to heaven. God, this is fair. Hmm? Fair. Huh? So this is the teaching because of verses like that. Now what do you think? Remember, interpretation. What are the four golden keys of biblical interpretation? Number one, first C. Context. Alright. Second C. 
Comparison means what? Scripture with scripture. Alright? And you compare it with theology and doctrines in the scripture. Compare. Alright? Third C? Consistency. Consistency. Means it doesn't contradict any parts of the Bible or theology or doctrines in the Bible. And the fourth one? Common sense. Alright? So when you apply this, people argue with you, you just apply this. Now, does this does it contradict doctrines of salvation to say that you don't know Jesus, you will go to heaven? We just read John 3.17 We are born sinners and we are condemned already. We are already condemned. Alright? That is the doctrine that Christ himself teach. So to say that if you don't believe, if you don't know, you will go to heaven, that contradicts the doctrine, that contradicts another part of scriptures, right? I'm sure many parts, many other parts of scriptures. Okay? He that believes not is condemned already. Okay? So, even if you don't know means you don't believe. If you don't believe means you're condemned. Right? Because, because of Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Right? That's the theology. No one will go to heaven except through Jesus Christ. You don't know him, you won't go to heaven. Any question? Very silent. Um, Lydia, maybe I'll ask you a question. Do you think it's... So what happened to those... How do you explain if someone never heard of Jesus, why they go to hell? How, how do you reconcile that? What does the Bible tell us? Have you asked yourself that question? Yeah, I was about to ask that. <laughs> you want to ask that, right? Yeah. That's why I say it's very silent. Some people are, I can hear the mind spinning. <laughs> All right? All right. So, so how? Those that didn't hear. Huh? Well, um, it keep coming, you will learn as we go through the doctrines. You know, I always remember doctrines, very important in the Bible. Now, that's the doctrine of election. Okay? Now, election, as we studied from the beginning of John, um, God spoke about He chose. Alright, so before the foundation of the world, God already chose the elect. Chose. Okay, now, the elect that God chosen, and you read the doctrine written by Paul in Romans, in various parts of the scripture, it's very clear that God chose, God predestined and chose. Whoever God chooses, it will never be lost. Means God will say, I choose, oh yeah, I forgot about that person. <laughs> what he chose will definitely 100% be saved. Okay. Now, over time, we do not know who are the chosen, but God repeatedly teaches the doctrine of predestination chose before the foundation of the world. Christ came and he died, and the chosen will be saved. Okay. Now, in other words, those that did not hear, hmm, those that never heard, they are the non-elect. They were never chosen. They were not chosen. The chosen, even you stay in a, in a hut, in North Pole and no one visits you except polar bears, the gospel will find its way there. Alright? Somehow the track we give out in 30 and 30 will end up in a polar bear <laughs> and then you reach you. Alright? So if you, the chosen, the gospel, God will always find, the gospel will always reach them and they'll be saved. God knows. God is an all-wise God. If the rich gospel never reached the person, he was not an elect. Not that God was not fair. Just not an elect. An election is this. It's not God look at you, Oh, Lydia, I like that name. I shall save Lydia. Alright? The Bible tells us he chose with no conditions. It's unconditional. God just chose. Chose to save. Alright? So, so it's like redemption. 
the the non-elect, the non-elect will not go to heaven. All right, the non-elect, only the elect, will be saved. All right, that's why you see, a, a person, two persons, you keep preaching the gospel. Why does one believe? The other one looks smarter, talks smarter, is smarter, but don't believe. How come the other person believe? All right. God says it has nothing to do with the person. God has chosen. When God chooses, He works in the heart and the person will respond. Okay? So that is the doctrine of election. Um, it's on our website also. You can download some of those. We went through that. Yeah. So the non-elect, when God chose the elect, He saved the elect. It's not that He chose, he chose to cast someone to hell. He just among all... You see, we are all born sinners. We are all born condemned. Then God reached out and chose certain ones to be saved. The rest he left as condemned. They will go to hell. They go to they never heard because they were not an elect. God did not send the gospel to them. Because they're not elect. When they're not elect, even they hear the gospel, they won't believe. That's important. That's why many people you preach. So it is not about whether they got the gospel or did not got, get the gospel. They will always reject God. That's why like the Pharisees, they get to see Jesus Christ in the flesh, perform miracles that no one ever performed before, not even Moses. How come they don't believe? Because they're not elected. In other words, men will always reject God. The doctrine of election is this, is you would have rejected God too. If not for God's goodness, that God chose and he reached into you and he made you believe him that's why it is you must be very thankful to god god of all the people you saved me understand all right so there's no universal salvation as in everyone will go to heaven if everyone would go to heaven then how do you explain many people who in the bible they reject god and they went to hell all right Right, friends who are close friends but they're atheists. Now we will never know who is in elect. It's not emblazoned on their head or elect. You know, you wear certain special glasses, oh elect. You know? We won't know. We won't know. Alright? That's why we simply preach the gospel to them. We don't know. They might be an elect, they might not. We just preach the gospel. If they're in elect, one day they'll be saved. Yeah, so our duty is not to save souls. Our duty is to be faithful in sending the gospel out. Yeah. So what does that answer your question? Yeah, so if, if they're atheists, they may be atheists now. Were you an atheist before? Or you're always born in a Christian family? Yeah, so some of us were atheists before. We never believed in God. All right? But as an elect, one day we will respond to the gospel. All right? Okay, now, so the doctrine of election is a very precious doctrine. Um, and again, we ask, God, why don't you elect all? So what's the answer? Oh, man. Who are you to question God? His ways are above. We just do not understand. When we meet Him, we ask Him and we will understand. When we are no longer sinners. Alright? So, that. Okay? Now. Okay, so now we answer that very last question and then we finish up. Now, I'll ask you this question. Right, wait. Do you know what it means when He says this? Verse... Verse twelve, verse thirty-nine. For judgment, I'm coming to this world that they will see might, they will see not might see. All right. So those that don't know the truth, because of Christ, because of the gospel, because of His work, they will understand. They will see. Now what? Now I ask you this: What does it mean? And they which see might be made blind. Number one. 
Number verse 41, he says, Now, if ye were blind, Jesus said, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remain. Okay? Shenwe, what do you think Jesus means? He said, Now, Jesus said this, They which see might be made blind. Is Jesus purposely making them blind? No, but the Pharisees who, <coughs> in their own self righteousness, that they can see and they are righteous are blind. Mm. Okay, so so you're saying that they that they that see might be made blind. So this this see, you're saying that the Pharisees see is a self-righteous seeing. Means they don't really see. They're just self-righteous. They think that they know the truth. Right? So Shannon is correct. This is what he means. That they might see might be made blind. In other words, he said, you think you see. We remember that he, 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 they keep saying, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know. He keeps saying, we know. So they say, you keep saying, you know, right? Alright, so you think you see, you'll be made blind. Jesus is not saying he make them blind. He's saying that you keep saying you know the truth, and I keep showing you the truth, but you still will not accept the truth. You have just become blind. Alright? So Jesus is not saying, I purposely make them blind. Okay, so maybe to answer further to uh, Lydia, Jesus never go into a man's heart and block out the gospel so that they don't see. Or you're not elect, I must block out the gospel so they don't see. No. Alright? It's just that they reject. And you see, you keep rejecting, you will never see. Okay? Now, then he says, then he says, verse 41, We see, therefore, your sin remaineth. We see. You say, we see, therefore, your sin remaineth. He's saying this. You keep insisting that you know the truth. When the truth that you know is false, your sin will remain because you will never repent. Understand? You will never repent because you keep insisting that that is the truth. Now, this is a very important lesson for all of us. This whole chapter is about healing a blind man, right? If we keep saying, I see, I see, I know, I know, I know everything about the Bible, I know. Don't teach me anymore, I know. Hmm? I know all things. That's how the Pharisees are. Christ say you remain blind. But this, remember the response of the blind man? The moment he says, do you want to believe on the Son of God? Immediately he say, he answered, Lord, who is, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? He straight away want to know the truth. I want. But the Pharisees, they shut up their hearts. You and I cannot have preconceived ideas about God. We cannot make God into our own image, right? Romans chapter 1. We often make God into our own image. God, you must be fair, you must be this, you must be this, you must be this. If you're not this, no, 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 God. I know better. God should be this. And we reject the Bible. Understand? When you read the Bible, yes, you cannot understand now, but you must know, this is God. I humbly say, Lord, I worship you. I don't understand, but I worship you. We are so little bit. You ever have a conversation with an ant? Tonight, catch some ants catch one end and sit there the whole night keep explaining end oh end alright don't walk to the water I, I actually tried that <laughs> alright there was this end that was walking in the kitchen sink alright I was trying to rescue it alright trying to rescue it it went into the sink then I tried to push 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 the water away but it kept running towards the water alright then I was thinking in my mind just literally oh end you know let me explain to you you know we really have to be like that. We are really like ants in God's sight. We are so infinitely lower than Him. We don't understand. Okay? So understand that. 
right? So you have a conversation and you will get frustrated, and, but you are infinitely above the end. And God is infinitely above us. That is how we approach God. So this chapter is about blindness and sin. And the difference is we, we, we approach God with the highest reverence, like this blind man. And you just obey. Makes no sense, Lord. You want me to go and you want to put mud in my eyes and make me go somewhere and wash it off? Makes no sense, Lord, but I'll do it. I'll obey. Who are you, Lord? I worship you. Alright? So this chapter is about how we approach God. Understand? With the humblest heart that we are nothing. Then you will see. Then you will see many truths in the Bible. Let us pray.